Hello and welcome to the Strange Brew podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Chester Thompson and Hide and Seek from his latest album Wake Up Call and that's because I've got Chester here today on the Strange Brew to talk about his solo work, time playing on drums for the likes of Frank Zappa, Weather Report and of course Genesis. So let's hear my chat with Chester. Hello. Hey, hello. Fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed uh, listening to your new album, Wake Up Call, because in a way you, you seem to be sort of pushing boundaries. Well, not intentionally. I mean, we just, it's its honest. The difference, I think, it was done during the pandemic, during lockdown. And so basically, long story short, every song started with me laying down a drum track, sending it to friends who were my first band that I ever had in L.A. And I thought I was just sending them a track to just jam to, just something to you know, play along with. The actual, the third track on the song, Hide and Seek, was the first thing I sent them. They wrote around it, and it really kind of shocked me what they sent back. I, I was not expecting that by any means. They're really good players. It's a, it's a husband and wife bass player Pee Wee Hill and his wife Michiko. A couple of the guitar players had been in that band that we had, Caleb Quay and a guy named Ronnie Van. And my son plays some guitar on it as well. And we had added some horns on a couple of things. But yeah, all the basic songs were written starting with me laying down a drum track. In a couple of cases, I sent a melody that I had in mind and they and she, you know went on to develop that as well. So, so yeah, so it's different because it started with drums with me playing whatever I wanted to play. <laughs> yeah, so it's a real interesting way of um, getting the creativity with the musicians that you collaborate because on the whole, they were working with the drum track and then were free to be inspired by it. Exactly. What, whatever they c- came up with, that that's what it was. I mean, when I write myself, I start with a rhythm. Either I lay down something on the drums or maybe I'll fool around with the drum machine just to, just to set a, an atmosphere. And then I write... You know, I start with the melody and then harmonize it later, because if you lay down a rhythm, a different rhythm, you're going to come up with a different melody. So um, I think that's kind of a, I guess, kind of organic way to do it, you know. And how does that compare with the material that you've done with the trio that you've had? Right. Well, that's com- it's completely different. <laughs> I mean, because with the trio, I mean, there was some original material. Eventually, we started with like sort of jazz covers, but then there started started to be more original stuff. But that's still one person pretty much mostly writing the tune. Maybe maybe we got together and helped polish it a bit. But no, this was c- completely different in that. Yeah, I mean, as a drummer, sometimes when I'm just sitting around jamming or practicing or something, I'll come up with a rhythm and I'll, I'll think, man, it'd be nice if there was a song where I could actually use something like this, you know? Well, this time I got to set the tone because I played first, you know? Are there any particular tracks that surprised you in a good way? I mean, I'm particularly fond of Sunrise, for example. Sunrise was the second track I sent to them. Ah. After they sent back the first one, I thought, well, let's try this again. So I just sat down and played something completely different to the first one, obviously. And so what they came up with that time really blew me away. It's like, okay, this is amazing. And and we just kept doing it. it. It took over a year because I'd get an idea and I'd send it to them. They tour with their daughter. Her name is Judith Hill, which is, man, she's amazing. And so they tour with her. And as soon as, you know, lockdown was starting to lift, they were getting busy with that. And then they had a project of their own they were doing as well. So sometimes I have to wait for them to get around to whatever I sent them. But but it worked out. You know, Is it a way of creating music that you'd foresee yourself doing in the future as well? 
I think maybe. Yeah, no, I've never never done it before. Not like not like that. I've sat around and jammed with guys locally, and we maybe eventually you know come together again and sort of work on it a bit more. I've done that a couple of times, but never where I just sent out a drum track and and they were free to to do whatever they wanted. You know, I would really look forward to doing that again. Actually. <laughs>
you've got a unique style for drummers. Is it the flute that you can also play? Do you think that that's an influence? That's a good question. I, no, I don't think so. I mean, I started out, my very first drum lessons were jazz. The teacher I had was a family friend. Right. I mean, he had played all, you know, when I grew up, it was soul music, you know, in the 60s. So he had done all of that, and he just really only wanted to do jazz at that point. So when I went to him for lessons, I had started playing in school band and reading music and just, you know, sort of the one snare drum and all that thing. So when I started going to his house, we started by, he would put on jazz albums and teach me how to play along, explain to me what the drummers were doing, what, they, what to listen for, that kind of thing. And it's a very different independence than playing, say, a rock beat or something. You know, you learn patterns playing rock and stuff. Yeah. But with this, each limb has to be kind of, you learn to do various things with each limb, like on, in an ongoing spur of the moment basis, you know. I think that set the tone and that the, the music I grew up with, uh, the soundtrack of my youth, as they say, was the soul music, the early Motown, James Brown, when all his stuff was new and all that. And plus, I got to see all the live shows. We had a theater in town that was part of the circuit. You may, you maybe heard of the Apollo Theater in New York. Yeah. Well, there was a chain. There was a whole series of those theaters, and, and my city had one. And so every other week, I would see a, a live show of all these amazing <laughs> artists from the '60s. And so I'd be studying the drummers and all of that. But I was also also drawn. I just love music. I was always drawn to hearing different stuff. And as I got more into it, I was always open to try something new. So I ended up, I mean, there was there was an arts, really good art university, art college there in, in town. And, and you'd get artists that decided they want to do music. So, you know, I ended up playing some really wacky experimental stuff every now and then. And, and I, was, I was just always quite curious about all kinds of music. So I'm not a purist. I started with jazz. I mean, I played lots of funk, grew up playing lots of that. Obviously, played prog rock and all you know, the early when I started with Genesis, there weren't really any hit songs, it was just it was all prog rock, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, all of those things for me just that, that completes the picture for me. So, I, I try to listen musically. I guess a lot of times I don't maybe think like a drummer in some respects. If I've got to take a solo, for example, I don't think drums, I think melodies. And my favorite inspiration to, to put together a drum solo, I listen to classical music because they have movements, they develop themes and all that kind of thing. So so you, you mentioned soul music. So I think one of the first artists you played with that many of us would know was Benny King, wasn't it? I did, yeah. Did, did, did a small tour with him. I was approached to go out with Wilson Pickett back in the day, and it didn't, well, I ended up not doing it because I found out some things. That, I just found out things I, I don't think I want to do this. <laughs> and, right. But, yeah, it would, so, yeah, he was the first. It's funny enough, I think he might be the only sort of soul artist I've really toured with or done it. And most of what I've done, <laughs> I mean, between Zappa and Weather Report and, you know, Genesis, of course, Phil was probably the closest because he was a big soul fan and a lot of his things kind of went in that direction. But no, that's my life has been, I mean, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be a jazz drummer and just play quiet, tasty jazz all the time. And Little did I know that I was going to make a living just beating the crap out of the drums, you know. Zappa, your jazz background must have come in real handy. It seemed quite demanding to play at times. Well, the music was demanding. Frank was demanding only in the sense that he wanted his wanted it played correctly. He wasn't, I didn't find him harsh or hard to work with at all. 
I mean, you, you do the work, you know, you, you basically, the music was very difficult. I mean, my first month in the band and rehearsal went on for a month. You rehearsed 40 hours a week. You did five days a week, eight hours a day. My typical day, I'd, you know, have breakfast, go do the gig, have dinner after the, after the gig. I was staying in a hotel at first. I'd go to bed around 11, wake up around three, practice for two hours, go back to sleep, get back up, go to breakfast, you know, and, and just that was my routine every day in order to learn that, really learn that music. That, I mean, that's what it took, you know, and but I was quite happy to do it, you know. So I, I think the fact that I did work hard and, and was able to learn what he wanted, we got on just fine. You know? Was it at one time you had two drummers in the group? There were two drummers when I started with Zappa, yes. Right. And which was a great thing for me. I mean, I got the job. The reason I got the call, a friend of mine was his tour manager. And I guess Frank mentioned one day that the band had gotten so perfect, he felt the music was getting a bit sterile. And he decided, I think he said he was thinking of adding a second drummer, someone with more of a street feel is how he put it. And so my friend spoke up and said, I have the guy for you. And I got my audition. I just showed up with we just jammed for an hour straight. We just we went from style to style. We played funk, we played reggae, we played some jazz, we played blues, just without stopping. We just flowed from one thing to the other. And which is what that's what he was looking for, the feel that I brought. I still had to learn all of that really crazy, <laughs> difficult stuff, of course. But it worked out because I guess, you know, my natural sort of feel of things brought to what was already going on seemed to seemed to work for him. So was Weather Report closer to your jazz roots then? Oh, absolutely. Very much so. It wasn't straight ahead swing jazz by any means, but I had been in a lot of different, by then, I mean, I started doing clubs at 13. So by the time I, you know, was was at that point, I had a lot of experience playing lots of different styles of music. And the thing with Weather Report, it was jazz, but it was very fresh. It wasn't like the same old stuff, you know? So it was really kind of a blend of like really intense funk, but pure improvisations, not where you play a beat throughout the song. You know, you had to be able to move and, and function. And so my way of looking at it back, it's a bit funny, but I, I say that I learned how to play all the notes with Zappa and with Weather Report, I had to learn which ones to leave out, you know. <laughs> I mean, and at the same time, the, the, band, the version of Weather Report I was in, Alfonso Johnson and myself, the bass player, it was pretty aggressive. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard Black Market or any of that stuff, but it was, it was pretty aggressive stuff.
it seemed almost the perfect grounding for for Genesis in the mm-hmm. English progressive rock is quite different, but some of the <laughs> tools that you had yeah. were a perfect fit for Genesis. Well, it, yeah, it, it really did work out well for me, obviously, and hopefully for them as well. I mean, they've been very complimentary, complimentary over the years. Yeah, and well, I mean, the thing is, Phil was a big fan. He, the same influences, really. The same jazz players that I listened to, he listens to as well. He was a big soul music fan, of course. And so the difference being the other side of his main influences were the Who, Beatles, obviously, Zeppelin. So, you know, I didn't hear as much of that growing up because those were my really heavy jazz years, trying to really listen to the more intense jazz and, and, and digging more into playing that way. So, yeah, we first day of rehearsals, the very first day there, we just started jamming together. Phil and I, everybody else was still setting up and doing their thing, and him and I were just going at it. And it was a perfect fit. It just, man, it locked in immediately. We didn't have to talk about anything. The one thing he did say was like, okay, how do you play the fill? And I knew exactly what he was talking about. There was a thing with Zappa with two drummers that we did and which showed up in Afterglow, you know, one of the early Genesis tunes.
there's some great moments. You and Phil were, there were times you'd get on the kit together. Those early tours that you had, I think one for the Vine might be mm. one of those moments where you were sort of collaborating together on drums. We did a lot of double drumming, actually. I mean, because so much of the early stuff had these instrumental sections, there were a couple where maybe he would just play the whole thing. But for the most part, most of it we did together. You had to change it around a bit to, you know, we wrote in parts that, that worked for both of us and stuff. And he, you know, he added some fills where we could do double things and stuff. But yeah, it, it was a great drummer's gig for sure. What was your sort of steer to how close you needed to be to the original drum patterns? Did you have to stick closely to that? I tried to be, yeah. I mean, I knew that I was being hired to, to do what he did on recordings because suddenly he's out front singing. I mean, so it wasn't like I was there to sort of, I wasn't, I wasn't offered a membership in the band or anything like that, you know. I was there as sort of a utility guy to, to recreate what he had. So for me, it was a cover gig. <laughs> it's like, for me, it was like the world's best cover gig. <laughs> so I'm, I'm playing somebody else's parts. As we would tour, then my own feel would come through, of course. But no, I never set out to try to make it mine. I, I never that's really set out to try to learn to do what, this, what he had done on the songs. Because the recordings were brilliant. I mean, they really were. I had, had great respect for that stuff when I heard it. You know?
Do you have any memories of playing with Steve Hackett? Yeah, well, I mean, I did that, of course. I mean, and him and I became very good friends on the on the Genesis tour as well. So, you know, that first year was 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 pretty amazing for me. It was so different from any, anything that I'd ever anything I'd done in the places we played and all of that. Yeah, those, those were I don't nothing sticks out as far as stories and that, but the whole thing was just a really good time actually you know how did things shift a bit when daryl was playing with the band in the the live setting it must have been nice to have someone else from america as opposed to these english gentlemen right well it raised it it raised the level of everything because i I think they might have been a bit intimidated with his musicianship because he's brilliant and he actually played more bass than guitar in the beginning because mike had decided when steve hackett left he wanted to do lead guitar so it was really really interesting because he's got this absolutely amazing guitarist playing bass while he's learning to play lead guitar at the beginning. But I think his influence brought a, a level. I think they, I think in general in those days, I don't think it's still the case. But I think American musicians in general, especially us that grew up, we grew up playing cover tunes for the most part, so we had to learn to play things exactly. It was just a, I think composition, you know, being creative and, and writing original material was much more prevalent in England. Tony Banks once said to me, well, we were really more concerned with playing what we wrote. We weren't trying to be like hotshot musicians or something, you know, which, you know, fair enough. But I think over the years, they're playing just really, I mean, everybody's playing improved, I think. I mean, but but Tony and Mike, man, they, they really... I think Daryl raised the bar and they and they, they leveled up to it, you know. It seemed only a few years before the style of Genesis evolved. Right. By the early 80s, it was more accessible and less of that English progressive element. 
Abacab, for example. How mm. how did that affect you in terms of playing some of that material live? Oh well, obviously, it, some of it was more maybe more natural for me. But for their credit, to their credit, I don't think they set out to try to write hit songs. They were just great composers. They were great writers. I think they made that transition that it didn't necessarily take seven minutes, ten minutes, and three or four movements to make a song work. They learned how to say what they had to say in one song that happened to be four or five minutes and then, and even less as time went on. But I don't think they compromised the integrity of what they did in search of hits. I know a lot of the early Prague fans always felt like they sold out. But seeing how hard they worked and, and, and the way that they really worked at what they were doing, I, I don't feel it was that way at all. Yeah, I mean, I mean, part of that, I think suddenly there was the world got smaller in the sense that the Internet I mean, once the internet happened, oh goodness, then the world really shrunk because now we can listen to music from anywhere and be influenced by it, you know? That wasn't the case in, in the very beginning, but then you started to get things like MTV and, and, and things yeah. where I think the influence became more universal. But I think I think it was really more a product of their own writing evolving. And for me, I mean, it was great because because even, even almost every album, there was still like a prog piece in there. There was always like a, a pretty extended frog piece that was pretty true to what they started at.
And as we get into the 80s and onwards, whether it was with Phil or with Genesis, the show seemed to be getting bigger and bigger. You know, there was nights with 80,000 maybe at Wembley. And- yeah, it, was, it, it grew. It, it really grew. Well, the songs were getting, you know, more and more popular. And it, it was pretty amazing to be a part of that. Because when I, when I started, we were playing pretty small, very small theaters. My very first tour was around the UK. And it was, we man, anything that would, they could squeeze people into was the venue. A lot of places were never meant to have music that we played, you know. And we literally circled the island, you know, doing the, doing this tour. To see it grow to that was, was, was pretty amazing, actually. Do you have any recollections of playing at the Milton Keynes Bowl when Peter Gabriel was back playing with them, I think 1982? <laughs> Six of the best thing, yeah. Not a lot. I mean, it was a, there was a lot of buzz about it. I know people came from all over the world. It was amazing to see it. Unfortunately, there was never a video made. They tried. <laughs> But the problem was that Peter is so spontaneous. There were these conversations with the sound engineer that, okay, for this song, you will be on which position on stage because he had about three or four mics set up in different locations. And he was never at the one that they had said he said he was going to be at. <laughs> so by the time they got his voice properly in the mix, he had almost moved on. They'd end up missing, you know, several lines or whatever. So there was never enough to get a proper recording of it, you know, which is really unfortunate because I really felt like it was a great show and the audience response seemed to verify that.
Was it 2007, the last Genesis tour? The last one that I was a part of, yes, was 2007. Was it a few years after that, the last one with Phil? In 2010, when he did his Motown thing, that was that was the last thing I did with him. Was Phil's health, was it starting to affect him by then? I guess it made things more difficult. A bit, yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it wasn't a particularly great time. <laughs> you know, yeah, I kind of sort of shove it in the back. I, it, it wasn't a, wasn't a great time, so... I was very happy to see that Nick got to, to be a part of it and got to play with his dad. I thought that was pretty cool. Over the last decade, you've been uh, doing your, new, your own projects like the trio. Right. Have you got any highlights from uh, those records and those tours? Well, yeah. I mean, my, my first solo record was in 91, actually. Yeah, that's first my very first solo thing. That's the only one I did while living in L.A. I ended up moving to Nashville in 93. So the trio formed we you know we ended up being the rhythm section for a, a sort of a festival that was happening in town we were playing all with all sorts of different people and we got on so well we thought well let's you know start booking some gigs and we started doing gigs and and which eventually led to you know rearranging some existing sort of jazz classics and then and then writing you know the writing started happening and yeah those cause i think that i think we started in 2011 maybe something like that i mean in the meantime i'm playing Besides country, I mean, country's the the main thing that people associate with Nashville, but Nashville probably has more world-class musicians in a small space that I've ever been a part of. All kinds of great jazz and rock musicians. I mean, it's all here. Reminds me a bit of when I first started going to London because music was such an important part of the culture, you know? And it's it's a bit of that, it's kind of that feel here. Not obviously different culture, but, but yeah, music here is really important to people. So we, we ended up playing together and it just really clicked in a way that I don't think any of us had ever quite experienced, you know, playing playing jazz and stuff. And so we just, you know, just went from there and then it's like, well, let's let's do a recording. Let's go for it. You know, we did two of them and we hired a radio promoter and they did really well. Not so much sales, but as far as getting attention. And first one became went to number six in the, in the country and 
the the next one went to number four in the country actually that ended up breaking up the the pianist moved to new york the bass player ended up with a really profitable road gig you know so it couldn't fault him that you know yeah so it was just lots and lots more freelance and then i know i did another solo thing which same piano player and brought in alfonso that Alfonso were friends long before Weather Report. We had, you know, we grew up on the East Coast and we crossed paths early on and would just jam a lot and, and play together when we could. And so, yeah, I got to, to do this other one. And then this last one, I think I'm more excited about the last one than any of the other stuff I've done, you know. Are there any particular tracks off the last one that you... Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it's the first thing I've done where I really love all of it. A couple of things... I wasn't sure about, but as they formed, as they come together, and we, like I say, we started adding, part bringing in guitars as needed and, and everything else and percussion and stuff. I don't think there's nothing on there that I would discount. I mean, sometimes I've done things where it's like, eh, I love this and that, eh, that one not so much. But you know, this is the first time I've been really quite happy with all of it. You know, Wake up call, that might be a, a template that you carry on with then. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like that we did it that way and that it, that it worked out. I'll speak with them soon, and if they're up for doing another one that way, we we were hoping, we we're really hoping to get to tour, tour doing the music from Wake Up Call. We really want to do that. Their schedules are crazy. I've been a bit busy, you know, these last things are getting, like, I went through a thing about a year ago. I had a bit of an injury, a leg injury. I wasn't able to play, actually was, wasn't able to play for, for a period there, but that's all behind me now. And it's like, so I'm just really excited, you know, to be, to be playing again and being able to dive in. Yeah, it'll be time to start talking with them, talking about how to approach doing another one. I might end up going to L.A. or bringing them here and playing live, which we used to do all the time. Like I said, when we, when, I had, when we were that first band of mine, that, man, we played a lot. I mean, every week, it didn't matter whether there was a gig, we were always writing, practicing, jamming, and it got so tight. The crazy thing about Wake Up Call, the people that were that band, we had not played together in 30 years. Wow. <laughs> but we, I mean, but that's how much we played at that time. We just set up a foundation that obviously still held up. That's great. And it's great to hear that you're still recording more than ever. <laughs> you're ready for live gigs and... There's so much more to come. Chester, it's been a, a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, man. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And if I can ever get back to England, which I really miss, man, ah. being over there because I love London. I definitely hope we can get together and, and meet in person. That would be wonderful. Hopefully, fingers crossed. All right, Jason. Great, great, very good to meet you. And thank you for, for the interview, man. My pleasure. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the home page thank you very much Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.